for the World Game Live. It's fantastic to have your company. I'm your host, Lucy Zellich. Welcome to the show this Wednesday, the 25th of November. We've got a massive program coming out your way and here to join us uh, for what is expected to be a massive show when we talk all things about Asian Champions League football, the FFA AGM that's currently happening as we speak, as well as the A-League draw and what we can expect uh, when it comes to Western United and their stadium update. It's the great Joey Lynch. ESPN correspondent across Australia and New Zealand, freelance journalist and also one of our favourite contributors here at the World Game. Welcome to you, Joe. How are you, mate? I'm going very well. Thank you guys for having me. Thought I'd bring my laptop out into the sun and enjoy the lovely day we're having down here in Melbourne at the moment. We're also having a lovely day here in Sydney, which is where we are greeted by my co-host, SBS Sport journalist Nick Stoll, aka Stolich, coming to us live from his home here. How are you, mate? You well? I'm very good, and I'm very excited. Check out this Inter jersey. I got at a market for about 50 bucks with the beautiful yeah, you oh, wrong son. you got to turn Champions around. Champions League logo. I you got love... to show in the back. Recoba. Recoba. You know what? I absolutely, I'm not an Inter fan, but I love the jersey so much, the blue and black, all the years. that I've thought they've always had one of the best jerseys, especially always my first ever love in football was Ronaldo Phenomeno R9, and I used to get those, like, DVDs, burnt DVDs of him ripping it up in Serie A. Oh, the glory days. Oh, the glory days. And that was a glory day strip for me as well. Whenever I look at that, I think that is pure inter. I mean, they're coming out with some interesting things at the moment. I don't even mind their current home kit, uh, to be fair, either. But um, that is a classic, a really beautiful looking strip. Um, speaking of beautiful, it is absolutely wonderful to have the pleasure of all of our viewers tuning in today. Welcome to you guys. Some of our regulars are already popping up. Mike Long, good afternoon to you, mate. Great to see you. Welcome to you, Musi Longo, another one of our regular viewers here on the World Game Live. And hello to you, Nathan Henderson, who says, hi, everyone. Great to see you guys. Keep your questions and your comments coming through. We've got a massive show, as we said. But, Joe, I want to come to you to talk about this 17th annual general meeting that's taking place as we speak at Football Federation Australia headquarters. Um, and actually, now that I mention Football Federation Australia, one of the things that has come to pass in their voting is that they have agreed to change their name to just Football Australia. Um, before I come to you on your observations of that, um, some of the other things that the FFA members are considering or have already considered were the application by Football Coaches Australia to become a provisional member of the FFA Congress, the application by women in football to become a qualifying member of the FFA Congress, member resolutions proposed by Football South Australia to amend the FFA Constitution and the proposal, which we know now already has come to pass, by FFA to change the company name of Football Federation Australia to Football Australia. Joe, tell us firstly your reaction. What do you think about the name change and do, do we know why they've gone down this path to change the name well i mean uh, maybe it's a case of the king is dead long live the king uh, out with the <laughs> ffa in with the fa but i think in general it appears to be a completely symbolic name change you know a restart a rebirth you know uh, no doubt in 15 years time uh, if we suddenly experience a renaissance in Australian football in the coming years with an independent A-League, uh, the Women's World Cup, independent league, sorry, A-League, W-League, E-League and Y-League, uh, a Women's World Cup coming to town, a rebirth in Australian youth development, you know, pushed by these two performance gap reports coming out. No doubt it will be a simple crutch and an easy symbolic out for writers and journalists to, you know, tie in this new name change and, 
you know, FFA CEO, well, FA CEO James Johnson that has pushed it <laughs> as being the symbolic, you know, that can serve as a symbolic landmark and separation of the past. But, you know, so maybe in 10, 15 years it will mean something, but it's very difficult to see at the moment outside of everybody getting new stationery and everybody getting new email footers what the actual changes will be. I mean, we'll probably see a renaming, well, we, we'll have to see a renaming of the FFA Cup, um, which reminds me I have to go and update my copy for tomorrow because it references the FFA Cup. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, it, we, the, the clubhouse leader for that would probably be the Australia Cup, which um, has been floated um, in the past. But, yeah, probably symbolic at this point. Um, we'll wait to see in the coming months whether anything tangible is behind it. But, yeah, at this point, maybe it's just an attempt to reset the narrative, which their favourite document, the 11 principles, uh, 11 principles, so clearly stated a need for. And they love to refer to that thing these days. They do love to refer to that thing these days. It seems to be one of the um, one of the key footholds that James Johnson has established himself upon Stolich when it comes to sort of his baptism by fire as the new FA CEO. Uh, but I, I want to get from your perspective what you think this name change might actually mean. Well, you know, the worry about it is that, you know, in a few months' time or a few years' time we're sitting here saying, you know, same shit, different smell. That's the that's the big concern. We we do want it to to be a new era, and hopefully that's what it is. I do wonder if getting rid of the federations. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. Are they thinking about getting rid of the state federations? Is that no, what they're worried about? Happen. I wish it would happen, but they won't. They won't do well, that. Well, whether whether it's going to happen, but I don't know. Is that are they trying to pull a bit of power away from them? I'm not sure. But yes, it, to me, it, it's interesting why they would want to do this because there is a small cost in doing that. You have to update, you know, all your branding and all that stuff, you know, in a time where, and the FA, sorry, the FA has now said that they are forecasting a $7.3 million financial loss for this uh, past financial year. So, you know, there, there's, there's some issues there with finance. Is it time to do a rebrand? I'm not sure. But if it is going to bring in new money or it's going to bring in a, a new era, let's do it. But, yeah, it, that to me, I just hope that you know, it's not just a symbolic gesture that we do see a new era with new ideas, new people involved and, and, a, and a new attitude. Mm. Joe, can you tell us and give us an update on where we're at with the AGM as it stands and what outcomes we've had from the other things that have been put up for voting? I was watching. It appears that uh, Stefan Kamatz has been uh, voted onto. Uh, the FFA board, of course, um, as you broke, Lucy, Remo Nogarotto stepping down uh, from the uh, FFA board and his replacement is now Stefan Kamatz. Chris Nikiu, uh remaining as chair, re-elected onto chair. Uh, looking elsewhere, I see that Football Coaches Australia have tweeted out that they are pleased uh, that the resolution to grant them provisional member status was passed. So it appears as though Football Coaches Australia is now a provisional member of the FFA Congress. Um, some scuttlebutt coming out that the application by women in football to become a qualifying member of the FFA Congress was unsuccessful. Um, so that appears to be the other stuff we've heard. I haven't seen any tweets or news because I, I pit, this appears to be a closed uh, AGM, you had to have pre-existing logins and all that to get in, so there's no public feed. Not sure the member resolutions proposed by Football South Australia, what their status is, but that seems to be the lowdown on everything else that's happened. 
Mm, and with respect to Remo Nogaroto, uh, FFA chair, FA chair, God, how long are we going to keep making these mistakes now? Mr. Chris Niku acknowledged his time and his contribution to football by saying Remo has a deep understanding of football, both in Australia and abroad, and a genuine passion to see Australian football succeed. He's made a great contribution to FFA over the past two years and a significant contribution to the sport over many decades. Now, it's no secret that Remo and I, at the time of um, you know me breaking that particular story about him not running for re-election. There's no secret that he came back and said, well, you know, you, you should have just contacted me. It had nothing to do with the fact that I didn't get the support from the member federations. It's just time for me to step away and allow someone else to come in with fresh ideas. Meanwhile, Stephen Kamaz has been involved in the game for about 100 years, to say the least, with varying sporting clubs, you know, Sydney FC. He was a part of them. He was also in and around the NSL era. So he's certainly been around the game long enough. So what fresh ideas he'll bring to this FFA, but FA board, for God's sake, I'm really yet to see. Um, but um, it's, it's an interesting time for Football Federation Australia before we move on to the Asian Champions League. Um, as you said, I mean, I asked you both about what this name change could be and whether or not this is just a repackaging of the existing model, I'm not sure. I know that James Johnson did, as I said earlier, come into this role under a baptism of fire, walked into an absolute storm and the game being wreaked by absolute havoc, no thanks to COVID-19. And, and, and we've all acknowledged that it's going to be a difficult time to navigate through this period. But we're yet to see... James Johnson really make his mark in his time as a CEO. Joe, you said it aptly before that in his time thus far, he's just been reactionary to the things that have been going on around him. For example, the Women's World Cup was something that Stephen Lowy and David Gallup and that particular cohort at that time were to be credited for championing and for establishing and for really driving. Um, and he's just been able to, to kind of come in on the on the coattails of it and enjoy the success that we've all really thoroughly loved celebrating. But we're yet to see any of these things that he's championed for to gain any real traction. And hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Mm. Go. Um. Me? Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, it should be technical errors, but yeah. I mean, to be, one has to be fair. Uh, it, in terms of a I do think his connections with the Women's World Cup, did, you know, former FIFA and the City Football Group did help in that front and COVID as well. But yeah, you are right in the sense that he's done a lot of talking about the future plans, the 11 principles, um, and he's been playing defence, basically. But it's going to be really interesting to see now in the coming months, there's been a lot of talk about the second division, which James Johnson has in numerous interviews directly tied to the unbundling process. Well, unbundling's now done. Um, second division's in his court. Maybe that's something he does. You know, successfully planning the implementation of the Women's World Cup, that's in his court now. So you are right in that it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what we what James Johnson, who I think he was quoted at the Football Writers Fest on the weekend saying he wanted to transform Australian football. Well, what does transformation of Australian football beyond the name change of the governing body look like? That's mm -hmm. what we're going to have to find out in the coming years. He's also said uh, that he's really championing the establishment of a, of a solid transfer system in the Australian market. There's some of the things that he really wants to look at, the cost of play, which is something that we're also going to talk about. Uh, it's certainly been a big topic of conversation since the Herald Sun's Caitlin Fitzsimmons broke that story. Uh, apparently there is more to come on that. And Caitlin, we did reach out to her and ask for her to join us on the show. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to, but we'll be looking to reconnect with her next week. You also mentioned the unbundling process. They're saying that that will be our intel is that that will 
will be finalised um, by the end of this month, so, ne so effectively next week. Um, my understanding from a couple of whispers that I'd received from speaking to very credible sources embedded within the whole negotiation process was that ultimately FFA were put into a situation where the clubs had said, unless you finalise this unbundling process by November 30 and we can commence things from the, you know, the 1st of December as an independent entity, we're going to hand everything back to you. You're going to have to incur all of the debt and you're going to really effectively have to be responsible for this mess. So it seems as though this has been something that the clubs have really rushed to want to get to. Um, we'll speak about the A-League draw a little bit later on, but now I want to switch gears and speak about the Asian Champions League. It's been great to see our Australian team's back in action. No thanks to COVID, of course, we've been angling for this to restart and uh, and there's been a lot of conjecture and debate about how this would all happen with a lot of the clubs reporting and complaining about the fact that, you know, it's going to put a dent in their preparations for the upcoming A-League season, the costs that they were also going to have to incur as a result of the quarantining. We spoke to FFA co-chief executive Bo Bush about that very issue a couple of weeks ago, but it's happened. We finally got the competition going again. Joe, the results haven't been all that pretty, but what have your observations been? And the question that we're asking to everyone is how should we judge A-League teams in the, in, the, in the Asian Champions League 2020? Have we regressed in the last few years? Joe, over to you. I think on the subject of regression, you, you can't possibly look at the past three or four years and say that there hasn't been a regression there. I mean, given especially that, you know, it was around a, a while ago that Wanderers won the competition and Adelaide were in the final. So there's definitely been a regression. The problem when it comes to analysing this year's iteration of the tournament and previous years and the broader scope of Australian involvement in the ACL is that you have to be willing to acknowledge that multiple things can be true at the same time. Um, you know, it is possible to acknowledge that the 2020 ACL campaign is effectively a write-off for all the Australian clubs involved because of the circumstances that they find them in. But it is also, you know, true that there has been a regression in Australian football clubs um, in years past. There has just been, I think, you know, myself and Nick were on a stream, a watch-along stream on Twitch last night with FNR where we were talking about it, how there has been somewhat of just a stagnation in Australian clubs' approach to the ACL compared to the rapid improvement of not your top-tier Asian sides, but your middling, your Thai sides, your Vietnamese sides, Indonesian sides, all of this other thing. Wherein, whereas in the A-League, because of its very nature, it's a closed league, you know, over 50%, this season 50% of teams will make the finals. There is very little scope for innovation and it is possible to, you know, just as long as you are better than a handful of other teams around you in the A-League, it is possible to convince yourself that things are going great. We're a really strong side. And we consistently see that, you know, ex shortcomings exposed in the ACL, um, and not just on the player front, um, but on the tactical and philosophical sides of the game that haven't been addressed. I know that there's some talk about, you know, the unbundling of the league, potential uh, relaxing of the salary cap, which will allow, you know, higher quality players to be brought in and plays and these bigger marquees. But, you know, to use a, uh, an, you know, an allegory that I'm going to put in my column, you can have just because 
you upgrade from an old battered Nissan Skyline to a brand new Mercedes Benz, the bloke driving it is still the same. Yeah. Um, his ability to park the car, to accelerate, to steer, to brake, all of that sort of stuff hasn't changed. Yes, he's got a better tool and some of the, you know, the bells and whistles on that new car will probably mask some of his shortcomings. But at the end of the day, this the driver still has to drive the car. And in fact, given the excess power at their disposal, they've probably also got the ability to crash in newer, more spectacular ways. So it's not just a matter of bringing in better players. There has, there has to be a better approach. Um, there has to be a better approach on the field. You know, team, you know, Nick, you, you made the comparison. Teams like Ajax in the Champions League in Europe with tiny wage budgets can figure out ways to be effective. It's about recognising your shortcomings and figuring out a philosophical approach that allows you to not only be the bully boys of the A-League, but get results in Asia as well. Stolich, I want to come to you on this because you put a tweet up last night that generated um, some heated debate and discussion around this subject. Another loss for Australian teams in Asia. Excuses will be made, some more valid than others, but we surely can do better. Teams from smaller nation find ways to win in Europe and South America, and I think the golfing quality is less here. Already low expectations aren't even being met. So clearly you've got a position on how we're performing in Asia, but the question that I have is, it really, really makes you wonder how the bloody hell did we win this thing with the Wanderers in 2014? Well, I mean, and that's a huge credit to Tony Popovich and the way he had that side set up. And, you know, you can argue maybe the other teams in Asia have improved where we've, we've regressed. But I'm going to uh, share something with you now, which is the coefficient um, rankings for uh, the AFC. And what's crazy is you can see, I'll try and zoom in a bit more, but basically we're down to 11th. And, you know, I know that people say, oh, we can't compete with the likes of China and all the money they have and Japan and all that stuff. But then you start getting, we cut, we're behind thailand we're behind iraq we're behind uzbekistan like that to me is is a bit nuts so i don't know it's i I struggle so much with this you know we look at the stats and you see in the last i think three years we've had three teams in the group stage none of them have progressed so that's zero from nine in 51 group stage matches in the last three years we've won eight eight you know and some of these are dead rubbers at the end of the thing at a certain point we and there are legitimate excuses or illegitimate reasons. Let, you know, let's go through them. You know, last night, for example, victory haven't had much time together. They they had young players coming in. Same as well with Perth. That is very true. The other uh, things that people say, okay, well, you know, they're able to spend so much more money, these other teams. But really, they only spend money on a few players. If you look at the, you know, the large amount of their squads, the large amount of their starting 11, their local you know, Chinese players or their local Korean players or their local Japanese players. We're not competing at that level. So, and I actually think that a lot of these games were there to be won. You know, last night's game, Perth, although it was an inexperienced side, it was there to be won. They were winning 1-0 in the 89th minute. And for me, we should be asking, well, how did they manage those last few minutes? Yes, they are a young side, but young sides still do well, as Ajax did in the Champions League. You know, teams that don't have a lot of money, Atalanta were incredible and they had the same budget as a championship side in, in, you know, and they were going up against PSG with all their money. And if it was just money that made success, then why hasn't Manchester City ever won a Champions League? Why hasn't PSG ever won a Champions League? Because they're spending so much money. So we know that money doesn't, it is a big factor. Absolutely. No one's saying not. But we know that it isn't the ultimate factor and that there are ways that teams can be very smart about it. For example, one thing I'll give uh, Victory credit for last night 
as well as bringing on uh, Ian Nucci, who I thought was a fantastic player. I'm really excited about him. But, you know, Melbourne Victory, they were trying a few smart things on set pieces. They were trying a few different things. That's a really good way to bridge the gap uh, in, in that golf. So I just think that we need to be doing better. We in the past were doing better. Um, we continue to struggle. And I just think it's it's poor on Australian football that we don't demand better. We don't demand our teams be better. And we, we don't demand better performances from them. We keep saying, oh, it's, you know, it's too hard to compete with the teams in Asia. And I just think at a certain point, you know, we have to we have to be better. We have to want better. We have to demand better. We have to realize there are issues when it comes to, you know, travel and all, all kinds of stuff. But what about when teams travel to Australia? Why isn't it an issue then? There's just so many questions there that remain unanswered for me. Mm, a lot of questions. Um, one final question I'll ask to you on this, Joe, uh, before we move on to the A-League draw, is can you actually see any of the Australian teams, based on what you've seen so far, progressing further throughout the tournament? In 2020, um, probably not. Um, I mean, none of them would ever say this, but the question also has to be, would any of them want to, um, given the absolute chaos it would play with their preparations? I mean, especially a side uh, like Perth Glory that aren't going to be able to train during their two-week quarantine. Um, so, I mean, I don't... I, I think it's probably a bridge too far, you know, like, and as we've acknowledged, 2020 in a vacuum probably can't be held against them for, for doing that. I mean, I remember looking at the other day, Melbourne Victory, when they were building a squad to compete in this ACL, were envisioning a scenario where Jakob Paulson, Kiki Dobrash, Ola Toivonen were firing in a team led featuring Andrew Naboot and coached by Marco Kurtz. So <laughs> quite a lot had happened since then. Um, so, yeah, 2020 is a write-off, but I think, yeah, as you know, Nick was saying, and I was saying, in the broader context, yes, in a vacuum, this can be dismissed, but it also needs to be looked at in a broader context. And we need to look at the principles of gameplay that have been displayed and the lessons that can be learned from that. One final point from one of our viewers, Jerome Goodsell. Welcome to you, Jerome. Great to have your company on the World Game Live this Wednesday, the 25th of November. Remove the cap for Australian players, encouraging our best talent to stay in the A-League and come back home early instead of chasing foreign money. May also increase the interest in the A-League if we can keep some of our better local players in the system for longer. Not sure that that will work because the European dream will always be there for any young aspiring footballer. But let's move on to the A-League draw, which got released yesterday, Joe. We were also hoping that the W-League was going to be released at the same time but our understanding is that they're still working through some issues with respect to that and that it could come to us on either Friday or Monday so we'll have to stand by for that one but firstly what did you make of the draw what did they get right what did they get wrong and how did you see it overall um well I think the positive is first is that no hubs um I know that was a very big consideration at some point it appears as though especially with the news uh in recent days that queensland's borders are opening to new set well the greater sydney area and victoria it appeared you know still some question marks over south australia and wa but it appears as though we'll avoid another hub scenario because let's face it yes the a-league was able to complete a hub season last campaign towards the run home but could the game really afford to do an entire season in a hub format this time? Um, probably not. So that's a positive. Um, it's, of course, it's a very, very, very contracted fixture. It starts December 27, finishes uh, May 31 regular season. So it's basically 
you know, very, very short to the extent that we'll have to look at other cup competitions and the like to make up the numbers because one of the ACL regulations is you need an eight-month domestic season to compete in the ACL. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on. But on the whole, generally seems like they've made the best of the situation that they can, have avoided hubs. Uh, Melbourne sides will be able to play at home early in the season. I know there was some conjecture about whether they'd have to go on the road for a long period of time at the beginning of the season. That was before we absolutely smashed it. Um, but no, it's going to be... I think they've generally got it right. I mean, small things like Perth Glory, no more summer games, kicking off uh, in the afternoon heat. That's a positive. Um, so, yeah, a, lo- a lot of positives. You know, obviously would have liked to see the W League. But, yeah, I don't think you could... This It is not a cudgel that can be used to beat Australia league operators over the head with. A few points to look at um, within the draw as well, or also some more context to add around at Stolich, is that uh, for the majority of fans, at least 50% of stadiums across New South Wales, South Australia, uh, they're, they're saying roughly about that in Perth because they have a fixed amount for their stadium over at NIB. Uh, but that we'll be able to see 50% of fans fill the stadiums. Uh, our understanding is 100% of fans will be able to attend Dolphin Stadium, which is where all of Brisbane Roar's games have been moved. If you are a Brisbane Roar fan, would love you to give us your thoughts on, on you know, how you've reacted to the move from Suncorp to Dolphin Stadium. I know that from the two fixtures that they have had there, the players have really enjoyed it. They've been sellout crowds, so it could... Oh, we've just lost Joe there. We'll hopefully get him back before we say goodbye. But it, it has been something that's certainly worked out very well for them. Um, and also for Western United and for Melbourne Victory and Melbourne City, they'll be able to accept 25% of their fans. And for those that are looking to increase that fan um, attendance, they'll have to apply for an exemption or an application that will need to be approved. But um, it's something that's a pretty complex issue. Um, For a lot of the players, life will also be quite normal for them too. Uh, They won't have to do anything apart from, you know, just register any, you know, attendances they get to their private homes with friends and family that come. They will be able to go to restaurants and play golf and do all the things that footballers love to do um, without much restriction. So we we are seeing that life is starting to slowly resume and and go back to normal with respect to the A-League. Yeah, and what can I just say on um, Brisbane Raw uh, moving to Redcliffe? One of the things they and I think they they did largely a good job with this draw with all the circumstances like we've all said. But one thing I do want to bring up, and this is an issue for Brisbane Raw fans, is someone pointed out uh, Shane Henry on Twitter. All nine games between December and March, so obviously the hottest mar- months, uh, will be at Redcliffe with no significant shade for the pitch, kicking off between three pm and six pm local time, which is pretty much the hottest time. Of day that we're going to be playing Happy. games four of those games are on monday to friday too and, and you know people who don't know the stadium it's 40 kilometers away um from the cbd right and then you've got people coming from the south of brisbane as well so it's even further so you know i like the move to redcliffe for example i think you know there's going to be a better atmosphere but then at the same time you know hot in the in the shade monday to friday 40 k's away from the cbd could that have been avoided now you've got to juggle everything there's so much to juggle it's a difficult act but that was just one thing i looked at and again mm. and it was a good point made by shane that you know th- that that could be a potential issue and we might not see the crowds that we're hoping for at uh redcliffe 
and a lot of Newcastle fans also expressing some concern over the fact that the majority of their home fixtures are on school nights. So that doesn't bode favourably for them either. I mean, we are in a very unique period here, so something had to be done. The fact that they've been able to get a draw out um, has been quite miraculous as we look to welcome back Joey Lynch to give us a final update on Western United. Welcome back, Joe. Great to see you before we say goodbye. Um, <laughs> My phone overheated. <laughs> That's the you right for going out in the sun. Um, but I have to ask you about an update on the stadium build with respect to Western United. We've seen a lot of to be confirmed uh, fixtures uh, listed within the draw with respect to them. And a lot of that, our understanding, has to do with the fact that they're waiting for the NRL draw. We've already seen the NRL draw, at least the first round released. We'll get the full extent of that beyond, um, you know, the next few weeks, I'm sure. But um, And the AFL also, because we know that the Geelong Cats are the anchor tenant uh, of one of the stadiums there so they'll have to lobby and appeal and apply should I say not appeal in many ways we have to pray to the AFL some days don't we um, but uh, they'll have to apply for use of their stadiums there which is why we don't have any confirmation but it brought up the question of when can we expect to see some ground broken uh, at this new Western United Stadium? Uh, well I think that is the million dollar question for everybody um I think league officials uh, say they are happy with the progress that Western United are making towards getting their new stadium uh, up. And I think Western, they did announce that training facility um, that they're building in concert with Wyndham City Council, which uh, they hope to begin uh, either late this year or well, get the final approvals for uh, late this year early ne or early next year. And I think... Well, speaking to some people uh, in the know around that, that's around time. They're also hoping that the very final uh, approvals for their stadium will be ticked off as well by Christmas. Um, and then they can start turning soil on all of that at some point uh, early in the new year. Um, of course, you know, that's something that's going to have to be followed up on continuously because... It is such the elephant in the room whenever you are talking about Western United, but that is uh, their current plan. Now their only problem is trying to figure out uh, which Melbourne ground will host six of their home games this coming season. Mm, it's going to be quite the challenge. And I know that we experienced some technical challenges today with you, Joe, but we were glad that we were able to welcome you back. Serves you right for going out the sun. That'll learn you going forward. It is always a pleasure to catch up with you, my friend. You're a fantastic contributor to Australian football. Keep doing what you're doing for us, for ESPN Australia slash New Zealand as their football correspondent. And we look forward to chatting to you again very soon. No, thank you guys for having me. Great to see the brilliant Joey Lynch there as we move swiftly to welcome our next guest now. This has been a massive topic of conversation as we alluded to earlier. If you are just joining us, welcome along to the World Game Live. But it's also a very special welcome, and I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Is it Matt Delvies? Delvies or Delves? Matt Delves. Delves. All right. Well, we're going to delve right into what the bloody hell it is that you do at Dunbar Rovers. Matt Delves, thank you so much for making the time to chat to us today. Uh, I touched on it earlier. It's been a massive topic of conversation at the moment about the cost to play. Caitlin Fitzsim is a, a fantastic journalist, of course, penned a, a really insightful piece over the weekend about the cost to play and just how much money families are having to bleed. It's called Winning at Any Cost Inside the Cuts, Inside the Cutthroat and Clicky World of Youth Soccer. We were hoping to get Caitlin on the show to elaborate on her findings. Unfortunately, she was tied up in an important meeting, but we'll be looking to reconnect with her potentially next week. But Matt, the reason why we've got you on the show today is because we'd love to hear about the fantastic stuff that you guys at Dunbar Rovers are doing and what your cost to play model actually looks like. 
Yeah, well, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Um, Dunbar Rovers is a bit of a, a unique story. We um, we started in the MPL uh, youth program uh, about 2016, and so when we when we entered uh, the program and or got uh, promoted into the league, uh, we had to bring on board 13s right the way through to 18s, uh, as well as our 20s and first grade. And so we looked at it and said, right, well, what can we do uh, a little bit different to what's already there? And so very much looking at, well, uh, the, the way in which we run the program, but then also the, the cost uh, of playing. And so that was a big topic at the time and obviously still is now. Uh, and what we looked at was we, we have a rather large business community that we tried to come together and said, hey, let's offer fee-free football. And so that launched in 2016. And, and um, thanks to uh, Craig Foster, who also helped us uh, launch that, uh, was, was rather successful uh, in our early years and, and it attracted many uh, people to the club. Uh, as well, which is great. What we what we noticed over time, there's different different things that occur, and you obviously tweak your models as you go along. And so, uh, what we found, uh, being in MPL two, a number of players wanted to go and play MPL one, and so people might utilise us as a banker to turn around, and go right, hey, I'm out of here. Uh, after the club starts to incur cost, uh, and then as a result, we're left sort of holding the baby there as well. And so we introduced over time uh, a bond model, where at least if you made it through to the end of the season, uh, then they'd be eligible to get a bond back. And so as, as time goes on, we've refined that process and then we started to look at, well, how can we get our, our community um, to help in, in different ways and um, with different uh, activities throughout the club? We're only a volunteer uh, base, so we've got a, a board of directors. We're all volunteers. Um, and so we don't have any full-time staff at the club, so it was a case of, hey, how can we get people to, to really engage? And so we introduced a rebate model whereby people paid a, a deposit uh, and then as a result, through contributing or fundraising or doing different things throughout the club, we're able to, uh, we're able to provide um, refunds or rebates back to, back to people and still provide that opportunity for fee-free football. So certainly some learning for us along the way um, in that process, but, but also coming back to, to what's sustainable uh, as well. In terms of the cost of football, um, no doubt many people sort of tuning in, uh, they're involved in their own football clubs and, and, and realise they've got their own uh, costs and, and varying costs depending on where you're located. Uh, for us, some of the big ones um, are grounds, um, coaches, uh, paying paying appropriate uh, coaches' wages, and then also things like gear and equipment and, and that type of thing. And so uh, the, the total package can sometimes be, be uh, rather expensive, but it's how we try and bring together things like the business community, uh, fundraising activities, uh, different sponsorship uh, options as well to try and keep the cost as low as possible and offer that opportunity for, for, uh, for a fee-free football. One thing, Matt, that we neglect to factor into all of this is the other cost that you're having to field. So, for example, the hiring of fields, referees, etc. cetera. Um, you know, how much of that is a drain on your sort of financial position? Yeah, the, the cost of grounds is, is a big one. And, and depending on where you're located, uh, every, every council is different or if clubs have their own ground, um, every, so every circumstance is different. Uh, we play predominantly um, in the eastern suburbs and so unfortunately in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, um, land is rather expensive and so therefore often hiring rates can, can be expensive as well. Uh, so we had played our, a lot of our home games out of Pensley Athletic Field for for the men's, and we played our youth out of uh, out of Randwick City Council's grounds there at uh, at Heffron. Um, both very good, very good facilities. During COVID this year, uh, obviously when when that hit, um, we had to look drastically at what we did, and and it was a 
a huge thanks to, to Randwick City Council that came out and said, right, all of our hirers uh, are able to, we're going to waive the, the cost of those grounds um, for this year. And so uh, people like Alexander Luxford and other councils at, at, uh, at Randwick City Council did an outstanding job, uh, not just for Dunbar Rovers, but for other community uh, sporting organisations uh, to make sure that the clubs at least made it through uh, those tough times. And, and as a board, our goal was to get to the end of the year and keep our head above water. Uh, we've just managed to do that, which is great. And so now we sort of set ourselves up for for, uh, for next year. But the cost of grounds typically uh, is, is one of the big ones. Uh, and unfortunately, we don't have our own home ground that we can have our own canteen or anything like that. And so uh, the challenges for us around Number one, the cost, but then on the flip side, we actually can't generate a whole lot of revenue outside of that as well. So whether they lease out the canteen, or the council lease out the canteen to private operators, or they run the canteen themselves, and so therefore, uh, as a as an MPL two club, uh, we're limited by what we're able to actually generate um, on game day and those sorts of things. Solich, over to you. A few more questions for yeah. Matt before we say goodbye. Yeah, Matt, I wanted to ask kind of two things. The way that your senior uh, football program works as well, because so often uh, the talk in Australian football when it comes to the cost of youth development is that, you know, the young players are basically subsidising the wages of players in the senior teams at MPL level. Uh, so, But I believe that's not the case at Dunbar and the way you guys uh, have your financial model. And second, if you could just explain how, you know, there is a way at your club to dramatically kind of lower the cost you know, let's say I'm a parent and I re am really struggling financially and, you know, Dunbar has selected my kid uh, to play for, you know, but I can't afford the, the high fees. You guys do have a way for that fee to be dramatically lowered. Could you just explain that and also the senior men's team? Yeah, absolutely. So in, in terms of, I'll come to that one first. Um, we obviously have the rebate program whereby, uh, people have the ability to undertake different activities at the club, whether it be fundraising or owning certain things. As I said, we're a volunteer organisation and so um, we've got a limited number of people but we're trying to be as professional as possible and, and offer the best experience that we can. And, and I put my hand up and say we don't always get it right but what we try and do is, is learn from that. Um, so, yeah, we, we've got sort of uh, a couple of people this year, for instance, that, that might have joined us with a single parent and, and from very tough circumstances and so... Uh, we certainly don't want to exclude that person from the ability to play football. And so we select them based on their merit, uh, certainly not on who their parents are, uh, but we select them based on their merit and we leave that up to the coaches. And this one in particular player um, has come to us. The, the mother's uh, had a bit of a, a challenging time and so we're, we're working through with her. She'll contribute in a whole range of uh, ways, whether it be through doing some admin for us and team manager roles and that type of thing. And so um, every person has different skill sets and so the collective sum of those skill sets can hopefully provide a, uh, an overall a, a good operation. Um, in terms of the, the men's program, um, we've, I guess I can say we've, we've had some fantastic sponsors that have been with us 10 years and so the, the guys at Attribute uh, Group, so Andrew Tomlinson and the guys at uh, Honan Insurance, so Andrew Flutzer and his team, those two companies have been with us for 10 years uh, and as an amateur sporting club, to have a, a two sponsors be with us uh, for 10 years and, and grow uh, with us as, as we've grown uh, has allowed us to then sort of ensure that um, the costs that we may incur or, or some of the, the um, match payments we pay out to our first grade uh, are covered by that as opposed to youth subsidising that. Uh, now, many people know the clubs that are, we don't, we don't, we really cover expenses for our first grade. 
so we don't go and get into bidding wars and, and we try and help people in other ways. And so uh, we, we do things like work experience. So if people want to get work experience, we currently got some kids at the moment undertaking some work experience. We've just finished year 12. Uh, we run a careers program whereby we bring in a number of our business network, uh, sort of different senior business leaders, and we're able to connect those people uh, with each of the uh, each of the players, especially the senior players who might be looking for jobs or experience, and and try and provide value in in different ways. Um, one of the other things that we look to do is we run a, a business lunch each year, and so we've had the likes of Craig Johnston, uh, Schwarzer, Tony Popovich, uh, Chris Niku uh, was a guest last year, and. Uh, we try and run that and, and as a result, uh, put on a great day for our, our sponsors and for our, our business community, um, but then also use it as a way to raise some funds. And so uh, that ultimately goes into a way of trying to uh, run a sustainable club without trying to blow up, uh, dare I say, the, the cost of the club uh, for in the, in the goal of promotion. Uh, I think that... Um, Sometimes getting promotion into into the higher leagues at an MPL level actually brings with it more headaches potentially rather than than solutions. So the headache of potentially incurring more cost. Uh, obviously, players are after more match payments and that type of thing, and so it can be a race to the bottom potentially. But I think on our side, we really try and understand, uh, especially who our first graders are and, and what sort of they're looking to do with their careers uh, outside of football. How we can help, uh, how we can leverage our, our contacts, or how we can leverage uh, people we may know. Um, to deliver something more to them than just a, a match payment. Oh, Matt, it sounds like you guys are doing tremendous work. I mean, we've had a lot of engagement coming through via our feed here. Mark Bowers, good afternoon to you, Mark. Great to have your company, mate. Welcome along to the World Game Live. He says, what a great story. Well, well done, Dunbar FC. It's great to hear of the work that you're doing at a time when all we're hearing about is the, the, the money that families are bleeding and the, you know, the amounts that they're having to pay for their children to pursue their dreams. And we're wondering why we're not producing footballers now. Well, if we continue at this rate in another 10, to, to 15 years we're going to continue to have these conversations but at a much more serious and grave level if they haven't already reached that point now matt thank you for making the time to join us um if there's any way that we of course can support the club any help that we can provide to, to get your message out there please let us know um for everyone tuning in today if you've got a young child that you're thinking about enrolling into football um this is what it's all about you've got the community model right and you're doing fantastic things within your region so thanks for joining us matt and we wish you and dunbar all the very best mate take care no. Thanks for, thanks for having us, guys. I uh, really appreciate it. Lucy, I will probably take you up on that offer. Um, we, we do try and extend the Olive Branch as well, so we've had a few clubs reach out to us so uh, across the country uh, already, and so we, we're happy to sort of share some of those thoughts as well. And so uh, likes of Madura FC in, in Canberra and other places around the world, or around Australia, sorry, um, as far as Perth and, and even North Queensland have touched base, and we're, we're happy to help. Um, wherever we can. I'm not saying that we're perfect in terms of our models for everyone or or um, I guess the way that we run the club, but uh, we certainly try and we try and do things for the right reasons. Well, you certainly are and um, you're a shining light for the rest of the clubs. Perhaps a forum in which we get a lot of you guys together and we can have an open and transparent discussion about sort of, you know, what the, the work that it is that you're doing but, you know, how they can get involved as well and, and replicate those models at their respective clubs would be worth a shout. So, as I said, the offer's always there, mate. We're always happy to help and, and continue doing the great work that you are and we look forward to chatting to you again soon. No worries. Thanks, guys. Take care.
Take care. Great to catch up with the director over at Dunbar Rovers there, Matt uh, Delve, a fantastic guy and obviously doing fantastic things. And speaking of which, we've had a lot of great guests and the show is moving very swiftly today because we've got a lot of things to get through. But uh, our next guest is such a beloved figure here at the World Game, um, a, a fabulous friend for many, many years now. Welcome back to us, Marquitos Flores. How are you guys? I love you. Lovely. Oh, it's so lovely to see you. Firstly, I have to say, again, a big congratulations to you on the birth of your son. What beautiful news. We were so excited when we caught up last to hear that you were expecting, but God has delivered you a beautiful, healthy baby. We're so glad to hear that everybody in the Flores family is doing well. Amen, Lord, for that. And um, and you've got some really positive news to share with us as well. It's so exciting because you've started a new football club. Marcos, tell us all about it. Whoa, Lucy, thank you very much, first of all. Roman, Roman Flores Benar is doing really well. Um, yes. Um, and, and, and yeah, um, uh, in, the, in, the, in the meanwhile, we were, uh, Marina, my, 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 my Beyonce, was, she was doing the pregnancy. I was also writing, writing a lot of things about this idea that didn't, didn't took only two weeks to do it, obviously. It's been a process. Um, thinking for a lot of years, um, and once that I I finished my career, and I came back to Australia, and I got into the youth development, and I got into conversations with some MPO clubs and seeing the models that they were running the the, the programs, um, it started actually giving me a, a lot of thoughts, um, what to do, you know, what what can we do? I mean, in in all all, all around the country, around the country, all these people that we love football, we love soccer, we always always know what is happening. But then I thought, what to do? You know, I'm and I'm really happy to to hear what Matt said before, um, because you know the day there is people that are doing the great things. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and Lucy, I decided to actually put my heart into the field and just invite all these kids that I'm being told that there's no space for them. Invite every single kid with any disability to play the game in our AAFC Inclusion Academy. Um, and, and, and actually, I, I invite the parents to come along, players to come along, um, and forget about this thing about JPL and JSL. Um, let's forget about this and, and, and let's just play. Mm -hmm. Let's just play. So you've called the club Adelaide Atletico FC, aptly. Yeah. We've got a bit of Spanish flavour in there. We love that. Yeah. Um, but tell us more about what it is that you hope to achieve with the club long term. I mean, you've listed some things already when you've shared the news that you're forming the club about the affordability, about respect, yeah. but it being a, more than just a, 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 about a club. Tell yes. us more about it. Well, we, we got six pillars. Um, that is affordability, inclusivity, respect, community, fairness, and technology, embracing the technology. It's a lot of things that, Lucy, um, that happens to an environment, an environment where the kid knocked the door of a club and said, hi, I'm little James, I'm nine years old. I played soccer three times and, and I wanted to put a jersey and I wanted to know a few friends. When the kid turn up to the club, they go to trials. First thing, we don't have a trials. Mm -hmm. Just come. Second, little James, have you kicked the ball with your right? Yeah. And the ball goes out of the oval. I was like, can we, can we, can we teach you? Yeah. Do you want it to learn? Yeah. Right, left, 
plays the fundamentals of the game in the new way. The new way, what it is, the way that the generation love, the gener generation, new generation love, love to be challenged. Yeah. So furnace, what is furnace? That that we got an honest feedback with parents through videos. Yeah. We said your your son James is the skill level three. Now in six months in the skill level four. In which skill level? In the fundamentals of the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The kid, how the kid perform a half volley with the right and with the left. How many he does? He does ten without mistakes or that three. If you start with three, let's do four. So placing the fundamentals and making that every single touch matter through our youth development from six to 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 sixteen, because we're gonna be a junior football club with amateurs on top, um, with our AAFC Inclusion Academy in install in, in, in our club. It's not just a program, it's just it's just an academy that it goes for any kid that have a disability and not just only the the, 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 the kids that are that are leading this program, which is kids with cerebral palsy, is also any disability. So um, we're hoping to do the right thing. We're hoping, when we're talking about affordability, it's about moving the community, moving fundraising to actually pay the fees to, 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 to register a kid, yeah? Then um, doing, doing this, I've been doing this, uh, Lucy, in the park, with 25 kids calling PTA football is an academy and I invite them. Yeah. Um, and I did it every Tuesday. We never, we never stopped for term. I didn't understood my first year in Australia, what means terms, you know? <laughs> um, so I actually did every Tuesday, 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 and every single skill level. Yeah. Six skill level two, skill level nine, all together. And um, some parents said to me, Marcus, will you register your group of players to the, to the tournament, seven aside. And I said, yes, let's do it. So we went through together. And by the way, Chris Chase Oakley is the junior is a is the junior coordinator for the AFC inclusivity. So thank you, Chris. He Ooh, is part Chris. of the board. And here, let me show you also before I jump to that story, that our logo has a little three points there that is that is made by our kids with the with the um, disability. So wow. um, our, our, our club is built around, all around every single human. It's not around by Marcos Flores thinking that I wanted to make elite players. That, that, that's, it's not in my head. In my head is to improve every single player and invite them to come, to come and please don't quit soccer. Please don't do it. Just come. If someone told you at nine years old that you're not good enough, this person don't know what football it is. Wow. So come, because it's happening a lot of things, guys. So doing this, I thought I, I, I actually started building this little group. And this group registered to the seven aside, Lucy. And, and surprisingly, this group of kids that never been discouraged because I don't say a word to the kids. If they, if they actually miss the target, they miss the target. I was a player. Also, I didn't want to miss the target, obviously. So... We tell them, go, enjoy yourself, just press. We organize our team. Now, these kids that have been in the park are leading the table, the, 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 the tournament table, yeah? And I'm thinking, wow, we're just winning. But wait, 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 wait. Are we just winning or are we winning with 
the whole package. Why? Because the skill level two that quit two years ago is scoring goals. Wow. Against academies that are being five years in the city. Mm -hmm. So be careful. So when we do that, I was thinking, no, if we open a junior club, just come and play, we improve you. If you are the coach, the young coach that I wanted to align to the new approach, come join me and let's 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 sit and discuss about the game. When I actually talked to about the, uh, to the FFSA about this idea, FFSA said to, said to me, "That is great idea, Marcos." And I said, "Excuse me, but why academies that got 150 players don't do these these type of things?" Mm. And he said to me. This person said to me, Marcus, because they people don't want to work on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> no, that and you know what? And you know what? I, I thought about it. And I don't know what to do, Lucy, if I don't have soccer on Sunday. Wow. Well, I don't know don't, what to do. Either. We don't know what to do either. <laughs> so I, I, I thought about Sunday. But, but what are you talking about? I'm... And, and, and as the academy, you go and train the kid Monday. Then the kid goes Tuesday and, fr and Thursday to his club, play on Sunday, and the next Monday, he comes really upset because he lost 10-0, and you train him again, one time per week, but, and, you don't, and you don't see this. Uh, do you deliver the, the, the bigger picture? So I was thinking, no, Marcos, it's not the, you're not delivering the, the full picture. So now... In this system, with South Australian volunteers, a non-profit organization, having, having the 60%, 40, 50% fees um, cut, you know, in the middle, because like, like Matt said, you need to pay ovals, you need to pay coaches, you need to pay registration, you need to pay a lot of things. But, but Lucy, I got something to tell the, the football community. I will be there 24-7. I would not just get there to actually say, I'm a technical director, guys, just the six go there and, and that's it. No, I will be there. Mm -hmm. I will be there 24-7. Uh, Stolich, over to you. Some questions for Marcos before we say goodbye shortly. Yeah, I just want to say what a wonderful contrast it is to listen to Marcos and hear what he's setting up down in Adelaide. And I hope we see it replicated in every city and every town across Australia. And also what Matt and the guys at Dunbar Rovers are doing. What a nice contrast from that article that we read, which, you know, yeah. we all know these experiences, which is kids turning up to trial. There's no positions available. So there's no point in even having the trial because they're all going to be rejected. They're all going to be told, oh, you're not good enough. The kids, you know, one of the parents was saying that the coach wasn't even watching uh, the session. He was watching one pitch. He wasn't watching another. What a bad experience for the child to feel. Now, you know, if I go to Marcos's uh, academy and his club at six years old, I'm going to fall in love with football. And I'm going to mm -hmm. fall in love with football every year until, you know, I'm 18 or whatever. And then I'm going to become a member of Adelaide United and I'm going to go to every game. And then I'm going to pay every year to play the game. So yeah. for Australian football, this is such a good way to even even if you just want to think about it on a pure financial perspective, you're going to make money off someone for the rest of their life because they're going to pay to support a club. They're going to pay to play. They're going to pay to watch when we set up this, you know, FFA TV. So you need to create people who love the game. And the best way to do it is from childhood. And that's where I fell in love with the game. That's where we all fell in love with the game. So, yeah, yeah, go on, Marcus. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. 
no, I, I just I just think it's such a wonderful thing. And that's when I read the story. That, that's what hurt me the most was, you know, I understand it costs a lot of money to play football, but I just knew that these kids aren't having a good time in the game. And we need to make sure that every kid who wants to play, because not every kid wants to play and that's okay, but every kid who wants to, we make a good experience for them and they fall in love with the game. And that's going to improve the game so much across the board forever. And I think it, I think it's crucial, and that's what Marcos is doing. That's what Matt and the Dunbar guys are doing, and I think that's a wonderful thing. And I wish and I hope everyone watching supports Marcos, supports people at Dunbar, and and sets it up where you can set it up at your local club. You know, get in touch, create a create a union of clubs who are doing the right things, and that way we can get rid of some of the clubs and private academies that aren't doing the right thing. Yeah. So so saying that saying that, uh, Lucy, I don't want to be short on this. Yeah. Um. um you said it all. And why I actually make these kids with, 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 with a disability to, to, to put their hands on the logo and they saw, yeah, because they understand the bigger picture. I told the coaches, this kid is in the board. One of the kids is on the board of Adelaide Atletico. Wow. Hands up and saying, I want this. Perfect. Great. We do it. So, we get together and we actually decide what is it, what we want for the for for our club and we want to make invite the kids just to play and then we want these kids to actually love the game so to do that we create we create a little humble book where all the coaches are in the same page now, this is the book that every club does, Lucy. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. With the difference that we're going to have supervisors filming what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So we can give the feedback to the parents on the evolution of the plan mm. daily. So the discipline, the love of the game, and being completely committed to give back to what the parents are paying. Because in the end of the day, Lucy, let me tell you something, yeah, that, that actually trying to get my head around about affordability, yeah? Mm. You go to, uh, with, the, with the affordability fees to someone and say, oh, that is cheap. And you go to somebody who said, I can't pay it, mm. yeah? But the kids who thinks that, the parents who thinks that it's just cheap, I thought, Okay, Australia, doesn't matter if you put $3,000 or you put $600, they don't mind. You know what? You know what I thought? I said, let's make sure that we deliver 10 times more of what the parents are paying and we're going to be all right. Mm. Mm -hmm. Make it work. And, and then you can see, this is, an, uh, this is a little, the little honest vision of, whatever club are charging because some clubs are charging a lot because on the grounds they pay fortune hmm. that is the yeah. point so deliver more they loved what you're doing big summing and just give back to the kids and to the parents they're going to pay again and they're going to pay again and they're going to pay again but we are not going to take a zero one dollar we don't want to take nothing to our amateurs on top our amateurs they create the environment to enjoy the game Mm -hmm. Everyone, the piece, the piece from the juniors to stay with the juniors to invest in the coaches, in the supervisors to actually film the data, and game on, game on. And the next five years, guys, are gonna be bleeding for this club. 
Wow. And when I say I want to be bleeding for this club, if someone called me, I'm not available to go to any professional level, to anything, I'm not available. Well said, Marcos, Michael Long, our top, one of our top fans here on the World Game Live. Everybody is loving what you've got to say at the moment, Marcos. We have to say a massive congratulations to you. We could sit here and, and listen to you talk all day. Your passion for the game is just incredible, and the work that you're doing now is just fantastic. We've had so many comments of people saying that the late, great Johnny Warren would be so proud of you, and, and everything that you're doing now is so inspiring. But we have to let everybody know in South Australia, my gosh, how lucky are you all to have the great Marquitos Flores in your town doing this brilliant work but um, you do have free open training sessions that you're offering in December at zero cost zero cost yep. free groups sure. maximum yep. 20 players per group please register your spot at contact at adelaideatleticofc.com that again is contact at adelaideatleticofc.com and the dates are as follows Thursday the 3rd of December Thursday the 10th and Thursday the 17th. And for the groups, the under sixes to under eights from 5 p.m. for boys and girls, under nines to under 12s at six, and under 13s to under 16s at 7 p.m. Those dates again in December the 3rd, the 10th, and the 17th, three groups max, 20 players per group. Please register. You can go to Marcos Flores' Instagram account and, um, and and really follow all of the progress that he's making so far with this fantastic new initiative that you've got going there. Marcos, we can't wait to see how this unfolds for you. It is always a pleasure, Amigo, to catch up with you. We wish we had more time and we will make more time for you in the coming weeks so we can continue to hear about the good work that you're doing. Good luck with it all. Congratulations again to you and Marina. And and the little Roman, we hope that it all goes well for the three of you. I know what it's like to have a newborn, so get some sleep where you can, my friend. But take care and always a pleasure to see you. Thank you very much and let's just play, yeah? Yeah, that's exactly what we wanted to be about. Fantastic stuff, Marcos. Great to catch up with you again. Um, I love what he had to say there, Stolich, as we look to wrap up the show shortly. I mean, every time we catch up with him, we feel so inspired by his love, his passion and his commitment to football. But as you beautifully put it earlier, what a wonderful contrast it is in the face of all of this horrid news that we've heard come out. I mean, this is stuff that we've all intimately known within the football community for some time now about the cost of play being an absolute highway robbery about you know th these families being bled dry about young kids not receiving opportunities because their families can't afford to pay these exorbitant registration fees and and now to to see it in black and white it was really quite daunting and i'm glad that caitlin Fitzsimmons, a fantastic journalist has committed her time to this someone that's outside of football that's obviously been brought um to the, you know to this cause because it's becoming a widespread problem. Um, but to hear about the work that Marcos is doing against this, it, it makes you realise that actually we can have a bit of hope about some of the good work that guys like him and Matt Delve and the team over at Dunbar FC are doing. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? So often when I talk to people kind of who don't follow football religiously but, but are involved in the game through their kids or something, they always ask me, why does it cost so much? Why, why, why is AFL cheaper? Why is, you know, rugby cheaper or netball or all these other sports are cheaper? Why does it cost so much to get, you know, 11 kids down at a, at a park kicking a ball and all these stuff? And, it, and sometimes you're just like, I don't know. Like, you know, I, you, there are costs involved, but, you know, there was a story in that article, uh, in the Sydney Morning Herald article, that players were being asked mid-session to give a $500 deposit um, to get their spot, you know, talks of if if 
player, if uh, parents were sponsoring the team, then the player got into these MPL programs. It's just it's a horrible thing. So it's to have Marcos, yeah, it's disgusting. As uh, as uh, Musi was saying uh, in the uh, comments, he, he said earlier that the some MPL players are getting paid like two thousand five hundred dollars. Senior players getting paid two thousand five hundred dollars. Well, I like what Dunbar are doing. Dunbar do play pay their senior players, but only money that the senior team generates. So any money that comes from the junior program goes straight back into the junior program. That's how it should be. Now, if the senior players want to get paid, that's fine, but that has to come from the money that they generate, whether it be sponsors or uh, gate receipts or whatever it is. So that's the thing. But, yeah, I think just as an Australian football community, what we can do is support people like Marcos, support people uh, like Dunbar. I think uh, someone was saying that uh, Balmain, they have an all-abilities uh, program as well. That's a great thing. You know, l- let's look at this. If, if the system is not going to reform kind of at a macro level, let's reform it ourselves. Let's start up these clubs. And that's what Marcos is doing. And what a legend. What an example. He's not waiting around to be approached by some big Adelaide City or something like that to put the money in. Marcos, we want you to run our academy. No, I'm going to set it up myself. I'm going to do it how I want to do it. And that to me is just such a good example of what I would love to see everyone who can do it. And also, you made that point earlier by establishing clubs like this, by, you know, getting more Marcos Floreses and, you know, Dunbar Rovers like setups, uh, you're able to effectively price out of the market these academies and these football clubs that are charging these exorbitant fees and just get them out of the system altogether. Matt, Bob, Brad, I really like this comment that you made earlier on in the program. You said it's time for Football New South Wales to release the expenses of SAP and MPL clubs so we can see where costs go. I don't think it's just Football New South I think it's all the member federations. I think they are a massive problem in this cost to play issue. And I know that we've had the discussion multiple times about abolishing member federations. I certainly am an advocate for that. Um, back when Foz was, was still with us, he was an advocate for that. I know Stolich, you are too. But, um, you know, we need to move to a unitary model. We've been arguing about that for some time. I know now we're in a situation where James Johnson has come out and said they're not going to abolish state member federations. But does he agree that we need to streamline those processes? Yes. But my subsequent question to that is how the hell are you going to streamline these processes? These member federations have the governing body by the pants, by the scruff of the neck, because they have a 51% share of voting on the Congress. So how are they going to streamline these processes? These member federations aren't going to want to lower their costs. They want more money coming in, especially post-COVID-19. So I don't know what type of relationship that FFA or FA now, as they're known, Football Australia, are going to have with the member federations going forward, but they need to actually grab this situation by the scruff of the neck and start to change things for the better because we are losing children and the future of this sport from the game. So if these member federations want more respect from everyone in the media, from their children participating and everything going forward, start to release your expenses. If you have nothing to hide, start to be transparent and tell us exactly where every single dollar is going so that you can now start to be a part of this conversation instead of standing on the periphery and demanding more money from parents who don't have it for their kids to play. I'm sick of this being a topic of conversation. It's really upsetting. But I know that there's going to be more to come out of this. I know that... um, um, there's plenty more work being done in the background about releasing more information when it comes to this, and I'm looking forward to seeing many of it more come to light. We are hoping to get, as we said earlier, Caitlin Fitzsimmons to, to, to join us on the program next week and to have a more dedicated view um, overall on that show 
uh, about the cost of play and, and to, to have some more voices involved in that stolage. But um, as we look to wrap up the show, of course, let's end it on a bit of a lighter note with bad mm. news. Good news. Tell us, what have you got for this week? Well, uh, listen, one one piece of bad news for, for me personally, uh, Gerard Piquet being injured for about four months. They're saying nine months. That's uh, so many problems, so many problems. So to me personally, that that is uh, a bit of bad news. Um, but, you know, something a bit different. Uh, good news. You know what? I, I'm going to say Marcos Flores is my good news this week. Yeah. Uh, him setting up the club, that to me is good news. You know, let, let's tell the positive story. Let, let's really celebrate it. So to me, that's that's my good news uh, of the week. Yeah, and please, for those of you joining us as we look to wrap up, share your bad news, good news with us. It's always great to get your views. We love engaging with you guys every week. We've already got some coming through from Michael Long. Good news, no more international football until March. I didn't mind. No. I loved football. it. Come on, come on. That's a bit negative. I'm going to tell you what my bad news is, but it's tempered by some good news. And it's about the E-League, right? It's about gaming in general. Now, for those of you that don't know, I've always been very highly opposed to it. I cannot stand it. If it were up to me, I would get the nearest sledgehammer in my home and take it to Corey's PlayStation because I know that football is an, and everybody, it's not just exclusive to footballers, but you all have this penchant for playing FIFA and any online gaming, I actually can't stand it because I grew up old school. We were out running around on the streets till our mothers or fathers came out screaming for us to come inside for dinner. I think it promotes, you know, laziness. It lacks creativity when you've just got a bunch of kids sitting in front of a television all day playing video games. That's my bad news. My bad news also comes in the way of some figures that were released by Sport Bible. Now, you all know about this ultimate team setup that they've got in games like Madden and also at Madden, of course, is an NFL game, but also in FIFA, it seems to be a very popular thing. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that when it comes to these ultimate teams, you're having to pay a hell of a lot to unpack these great players that you can have feature in your teams. But here are some really scary figures uh, that EA released uh, earlier on this year in May. The EA net revenue from ultimate teams for the financial year of 2020 was $1.49 billion billion now this includes kids running off to steal their mothers or their fathers or their gardens guardians credit cards to pay for these things and to be a part of these things they're generating 1.49 billion in an unregulated system that requires payment effectively for these players to be unpacked but i'll tell you what my bloody good news is the good news is that the great Zlatan Ibrahimovic and a slew of other players have come out and wanted to find out just who the hell gave them permission to use their images and their faces. Stolich, what was your reaction to that first and foremost? Well, yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, I mean one thing I've got to say is that these games have changed a lot since I played them as a kid. When I played them as a kid, there was no ultimate team. There was You couldn't give the game money after you, like, you bought the game. That was it. There was no... I'll get my dad's credit card and that was ridiculous. So that's a big problem. Uh, I've heard people compare it to a form of gambling because you're constantly mm -hmm. encouraged to put in small, you know, dollar amounts to get these basically packets of players. And, yep. you know, you pull, and, and the incentive is that, oh, you know, what you'll get a Messi, you'll get a Ronaldo, and you never do, of course, so you put in more money. Blah, blah. So that's a problem. Uh, two, uh, these players are coming out after it was reported that David Beckham, I think, got $25 million a year for them to use his uh, license and face because they can't use 
ex-players without their permission. They get yeah. the permission of the current players because they get it off FIFA Pro or, or the clubs or they say every player registered to play in, you know, the Premier League, we get to use their image. So uh, I think I think it's an interesting issue, but, you know, I also think probably Ibrahimovic just wants to get paid, as does Bale. So, you know, I don't know how much they actually really want to reform the system of, you know, no, exploiting kids. No, they the system. And if it was up to me, I think it should be illegal for them to be able to do this, quite frankly. I think it's disgusting. But as Zlatan came out before we wrap up and said, who gave FIFA EA Sport permission to use my name and face at Fifth Pro? Mm. I'm not aware to be a member of Fifth Pro, and if I am, I was put there without any real knowledge through some weird manoeuvre, and for sure I never allowed at FIFA or Fifth Pro to make money using me. Somebody is making profit on my name and face without any agreement all these years, time to investigate. Bale, who, of course, is on loan at Spurs from Real Madrid, replied to his tweet writing, interesting, what is Fifth Pro? Hashtag time to investigate. Now, it is a bit of a contentious issue, and like you said, Stolich, I think it's more to do with the fact that they're not getting paid whilst other ex-players are. But my response to all of this would be, I'd love to start up a campaign to get rid of Ultimate Team's capacities altogether because I think it's a scourge on the game and I think it's a scourge on society when you've got kids who are spending and running up their parents' credit cards and spending crazy amounts of money to do this. That's not what gaming is. And if you want it to be a part of gaming, take it into the gambling space. Don't allow it to infiltrate what traditional you know, gaming is, which to me mm. was back in the day getting on my Game Boy and playing a bit of Super Mario before my mum yelled at me and told me to get off it. But I tell you, no child of mine is going to be in front of that game. But I tell you what, Stolich, yes. Can I just make one one quick mention? Michael uh, Ong has been writing about it in the comments. He wrote to us about it before the show, uh, and I think it's a good point he made. Uh, basically, he's saying um, the Pushka statue that they have down in Marin, uh, Melbourne of Ferenc Pushkas, who's yeah. you know one of the greatest players in the history of the game down there in Melbourne, I think they've gotten rid of the plaque there, so it's just a statue. It's not being looked after. You know, this is our football history. This guy what? was a legendary coach of South Melbourne, and I know Les uh, Murray. Oh, had a lot to do with that statue. Loved Pushkas. So, and that was the thing. They got this statue up, I think, uh, just before he passed, which was a great thing. And I just, I just want people in Melbourne, um, you know, people who are involved in this type of thing, make sure that this statue is well looked after. I think they're saying move it to Lakeside Stadium where South Melbourne uh, plays. That's probably its rightful home. But, yeah, I just want to see, you know, this statue. It, we talk about celebrating our football history. You know, let's look after the football history that we had. I think, I think it's an honour that we've had a footballer there. There's only, I think, three or four of them around the world. One of them is at the Santiago Bernabeu because um, he was a Real Madrid legend. And, you know, people often, they don't know that one of the greatest players to ever play the game was was coaching South Melbourne. I think that's something that we should celebrate. And I think we should have more statues. So uh, well done for to Michael Ong for bringing that up. And I hope the people in Melbourne uh, sort that out. Yes, there's only four. He said it was a gift from the Hungarian government. Michael, we bloody love you on our show. You're fantastic. You join us every week here. As we do so many of our regulars, Hassan Bertan, great to welcome you back, my friend. Justin Parker, we saw Nadia Tenace was on here as well. To any of you that I may have missed, um, you know, my apologies, but we love engaging with you guys every week. We love talking football. There's still so much to talk about. Of course, if you missed any of what we discussed earlier on, we have some fabulous guests. It was great to catch up with Marcos Flores again, an absolute legend of the game. He's doing wonderful 
wonderful things with this new club that he's formed, the Atletico Adelaide. So go over and check out what he's doing. Um, a fabulous initiative and very lucky for all of you South Australians who have budding young kids looking to get into football that he's there at your disposal. But, of course, we also caught up with the great Joey Lynch too and uh, Matt Dill from Dunbar Rovers. If you want to hear about their fantastic community model, uh, go and check out what they're doing because they're doing wonderful things in the Australian football space. As I mentioned, next week we're looking to have a more dedicated program, aren't we, Stolich, on the discussion around the cost to play. So make sure that you join us. What we will be doing later on also is sharing um, an inbox that you can send some of your stories with and you will be protected under the guise of anonymity. So if you do have any stories, we'd love for you to share us what your experiences have been with junior football. Have you had any issues with your kids, the registration fees? Please tell us it all um, so that we can share what's really going on and give people a snapshot of what's occurring in Australian football at that junior level. We need to change things for the better going forward, but stay tuned for that. Next week, of course, for a lot of the stories that we have discussed, you can head to the World Game website. It is your one-stop shop for all things football-related, both in Australia and internationally. But in the meantime, on behalf of myself, Stolich, and the entire team at the World Game, it's goodbye. Stay safe wherever you are. We had somebody tuning in from New Zealand. Great to have your company too. And we look forward to chatting you again next week from 1pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Take care. Ciao for now.